Hello, everyone, and welcome back to A Priest Forever, the podcast for the uh, Diocese of Bridgeport Office of Vocations, where we're taking some time to get to know a little bit better the priests of our diocese, uh, get to know how we can pray for them, how we can support them, and get some, some thoughts and advice from them on how all of us can not only hear the voice of God in our lives, but respond uh, with courage and generosity. And so um, we welcome you back. And today I'd like to welcome our our second guest, Father Joseph Gill. Father Gill, um, who is, uh, I'm sure, known to many of you if you listen to podcasts as uh, one of the hosts of uh, Restless uh, Podcast with a uh, focus on young adults in our diocese. He is the pastor of St. Jude Parish in Monroe, the chaplain to Cardinal Kung Academy in Stanford. And uh, perhaps most importantly, uh, the most important ministry in which he serves uh, is as my landlord. Um, I, <laughs> I am in residence. With, someone's got to do it. Yeah, it's it exactly, exactly. No, I'm I'm privileged to to be in residence uh, at St. Jude's with Father with Father Joseph, and so uh, Father Joseph, we're very happy to have you with us today. Thank you so much. It's good to be on with you and and to share my story. Excellent. Excellent. So, um, you know, today uh, we gather and, and again, just an opportunity to get to know you. Right. You know, we've we've talked about this a few times as, as we spoke with our last guest, you know, for our first guest, Father Michael Dunn, you know, trying to get this idea right. Priests are people, too. Um, and uh, we want to make sure that that people understand how much we need their prayers uh, and support. And also um, that, you know, if you think that God might not be calling you because, Oh, I, I can't be. A, no, you know, you just need to be a, a normal person trying to follow God and and uh, be open to to his will and in, in, in your life. And so, you know, first, why don't we just begin with that with, you know, who is Father Joseph Gill? What's your origin story? Who Tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's kind of reflecting on, on that um, that question. Who am I? And I think the best answer is what Pope Francis said when he was asked that question, which is I'm a sinner whom the Lord has looked upon. And I think that's a, that's a pretty good summary. So I was born in Maryland in 1984. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm the oldest of five kids and growing up just a really good Catholic family, had a pretty ordinary American uh, experience. So I played little league baseball growing up and actually really very passionate about baseball even still. Yeah. Uh, played in high school and college. I really, really loved baseball. Um, really passionate about the outdoors. I was a Boy Scout. I'm an Eagle Scout. And so through a lot of uh, backpacking trips and hiking and skiing and biking, all sorts of outdoor activities is something that I'm still very passionate about. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, last summer, went up to the White Mountains to backpack in New Hampshire, did a little father-son backpacking trip. And this coming summer, we're going up to the Adirondacks. So try to stay outdoors as much as humanly possible, yeah. which is great. Um, I used to actually make maple syrup outdoors, Ooh. which is a fun thing. I did that for two years up when I was in my first assignment at St. Mary's in Bethel. Wow. Um, I want to get back to it, but unfortunately, we don't have any good trees here at uh, St. Uh, Jude's. We'll have to go. We'll have to go hunting for them. We'll have to go yes. hunting for them. So I mean, now, there's, now there's so two, many in this area. I know you would think you would think it would be it would be easy to find considering we live in the middle of the woods. Um, yeah, we got about ten acres here at my parish. Yeah, mostly mostly forested. Yeah, yeah. So all right. So two very important questions based on on what you've shared so far. What position did you play? Middle infield, shortstop, second base. Excellent, excellent. And what was your Eagle Scout project? Ah, my Eagle Scout project. I. Uh, I ended up cleaning the gravestones and, and making a log of the gravestones at my uh, my home parish, which was, it was a very small graveyard, maybe 75 stones, okay. but a lot from the 1800s. And so some of them had broken. And so we we found ways to fix them and clean them up covered in moss. And uh, some of the writing was starting to fade. So we did like, you know, rubbings and, and um, logged everything that was like going on there. 
That's pretty interesting. Did you did you discover any kind of interesting stories as you we were? Did you know there was there was one? It was very sad actually. There was a there was one boy that had died at ten years old, mm-hmm. and so we kind of asked around. We said, you know, what happened here? He was died in the nineteen seventies, and apparently he was riding on the back of a pickup truck, and it hit a bump, and he he fell out and and hit his head and died. Um, oh wow! So that was that was the one that stands out to me uh, in okay. that graveyard. Interesting. Interesting. Now, so what is your, uh, what is your favorite place to hike? You've used, you've definitely been to, I know a lot of places, uh, but if you could only hike one trail ever again, where would you go? <laughs> ever again? Wow. Um, I, I hiked one time in the Alps, which was pretty, mm-hmm. pretty incredible. That was yeah. gorgeous. Um, yeah. I've done some hiking out West to Glacier National Park and Yosemite, both of which were stunning. And, and although I love Connecticut, mm-hmm. there's something in my heart that longs for the West. Sure. See, see the Rockies and yep. even hiking in California and some of those, um, I think wherever, whatever that range is around Los Angeles, uh, yeah. a beautiful place to hike one time. Which, which is interesting. I don't know if we've ever, if we've, if we've talked about this before in our, in our kitchen chats, but, but, but it's, it's, it's something you and I actually share. If, if I always say, if I did, wasn't living in Connecticut, I would live in Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico area. That's, yeah. that's exactly where I would want to live too. It's, it's God's country out there it really is. Yeah. Now, a hike that you and I, I believe, actually share, uh, although at different times, is the Camino de Santiago. Yes. Am, am I correct? You, you've done yes, the... quite, quite the adventure. Yes. Yeah. So talk, to me a little, talk to me a little about your experience. For those listeners or viewers who may not know exactly what that is, you want to share what that is and then tell us a little bit about your experience with the Camino yeah, de Santiago. It's a, it is a 498-mile walk from southern France over the Pyrenees Mountains across northern Spain, the large desert, and into northwest Spain, where you end up in Santiago de Compostela, which is the town where the bones of St. James, according to tradition, are located. So uh, it took about 32 days of walking. Yeah. Um, and have you ever seen the movie The Way by Martin Sheen? It's a great movie all about yep. uh, the Camino. And it was really very accurate, except for the fact that he never had any blisters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not sure how he miraculously avoided that, but it was yeah. an incredible experience. I, I did not necessarily want to go. I, I mm-hmm. went under obedience. Um, at yeah. the time, Bishop Laurie uh, was the bishop, and two of our seminarians decided to go, and these two seminarians decided to invite two single young ladies to go with them. And so instead of the bishop saying, no, you can't go, he actually said, you can go. I'll just assign you a chaperone, and that chaperone was me. Ah. The bishop knew at the time I was a deacon preparing for ordination. Sure. And so the bishop was like, you know, it's last time you'll ever get a summer off because yeah. you're, you know, you're not a priest, so you can go. So yep. for about six weeks, we went out there and it was a, it was a great experience. It was challenging mm-hmm. in many ways, not just physically, but, but even emotionally and spiritually because um, yeah. the desert that you walk through is, is also often indicative of a very spiritual desert too, that mm-hmm. you went, we went through. And I'd certainly did. Uh, but we ended at, after Santiago de Compostela, we went to Lord, uh, to um, Fatima, which was mm-hmm. really neat too. Yeah. But it was a great experience. I, I would definitely do it again, but I would do it on bikes. That's fair. Yeah. You know, I, I did the I didn't do the whole thing. I did the last couple of weeks of it. Um, we went to Fatima first. But I think the the only other thing I think the movie The Way doesn't doesn't portray, you hinted at it, but is sometimes the the boredom. Yes. <laughs> right. You're just yeah. walking for eight, ten hours a day. And it, I get it. It's hard to capture in a movie, but uh, that was definitely something that was uh, uh, a challenge to go through. You're by yourself or you're just with one or two other people. And, you know, you know, prayer is, is, is always available, but sometimes you're just walking. <laughs> yeah. It's very flat. Uh, there's a large section that's, that's just very dull. <laughs> yeah. Stuff to see. Absolutely. 
Great. So now we know a little bit more about you, about some of the about some of the things you're passionate about um, in life. Where in your life, because I think it, it happens at a different moment for all of us, even though we're all introduced, uh, so to speak, at baptism. Um, where did Jesus uh, really begin to to take a real presence um, in your life? Yeah, there's a number of different signposts, kind of moments where I could really experience God um, just becoming a bigger center of my life. The first one probably was, was when I was um, about 14 years old. I had the opportunity to go into Rome on a pilgrimage. And it was very life-changing for a couple of reasons. You know, I remember walking into the Colosseum and thinking, on that floor, over 10,000 men, women, and children shed their blood for Jesus Christ. And mm. I thought to myself, why don't I care about Jesus? Would I be willing to do that? You know, then you see some of the great works of art, you know, Michelangelo's Pieta or the St. Peter's Basilica. And you realize these things were built with, without the modern equipment, without modern engineering techniques. They're built by hand over mm. hundreds of years. And people were willing to expend that effort, that money, that time and sweat to build these things for the glory of God, which made me think, you know, God can't be a myth if people are willing to go to that extreme. So that was a big turning point moment where I kind of realized, you know, the faith has got to be real. You know, if these people are willing to die for it and, and do such incredible things for it, I need to, to do something with my life to glorify God as well. Mm -hmm. So when I came back home, I kind of... And it fits and starts, started a prayer life, started, you know, just having a relationship with Christ. But the next year, a couple of things happened that really started to change me. First of all, um, my parish started perpetual adoration. Hmm. So adoration 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And my parents signed up for an hour on Sunday nights and they invited, they never forced, but they said, hey, do you want to come? And at first I said, you know, that sounds really boring. I mean, here I am a 15 year old kid. I'd rather just, you know, watch TV or play video games or something. But then I said, you know, if I really believe what I say I believe about the Eucharist, that really is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ himself, God in the flesh, I'd be kind of an idiot to want to stay home and watch TV when God is calling me to spend time, an hour with him. So I started to go every week. And through that hour of silence, it sounds strange, but I fell in love with God. You know, I realized for the first time that I can have a personal relationship with him. It wasn't just kind of going through the ritual of the mass, as beautiful as that is. But now with this kind of free form prayer of just really speaking to Christ from my heart and allowing him to speak through to me through the spiritual books I read, through the Bible, I realized that he's real. He loves me. He's called me to follow him in a deep, profound way. Around that same time, I started going on a lot of retreats. So mm -hmm. the Legionaries of Christ would host uh, weekend retreats for guys who were homeschooled. And I started going on those. And that was very powerful. Because I first, for the first time, really encountered other friends my own age who were passionate about Christ. And, and I met priests who could play soccer and go hiking and loved Christ. And that was not something I found in my home parish. My home mm -hmm. parish priests were not particularly inspiring men. So finding these, these legionary priests who were real men, but also really dedicated to Christ really struck me. Um, my family started going to retreats at a place called Catholic Family Land. Still embarrassed to say that name out loud. <laughs> No, like a Catholic, Catholic Disney, Disney World? But it's out in Ohio. It's a really wonderful Catholic retreat center where they would offer these week retreats for families in the summer. So we take our camper out there. It's a five-hour drive. And, and through that, it really kind of bolstered my faith in the same way. I'm surrounded by peers who love Christ with great mentors, uh, mm -hmm. both the priests and the laity that were running these retreats were just on fire with love for Christ. And it was really just breathing Catholic air for mm -hmm. a week. Which, although my family was, was wonderful and very devout, you know, most of my friends were very secular. They were friends from Boy Scouts and sports teams and everything. And, you know, having friends that were Christ-centered really struck me. Finally, I think the last piece of it was the following year. So I was, I was homeschooled growing up. 
which mm -hmm. was a real blessing. And I really loved it. Um, so as a senior in high school, I got a chance to take classes at a local community college. So I started doing that. And through that, you know, I took philosophy class. I took a very secular psychology class and really just kind of meeting some of these um, this fellow students who were very, from very different backgrounds than I was from. I encountered for the first time the idea really that there are people who live without a faith. Mm. You know, these, um, not, only, not only the professors, but the, the fellow students. And I looked at their lives and I thought to myself, they look so unhappy. You know, all they were ever talking about is the next party, the next paycheck, the next girlfriend, the next this, the next alcohol, you know. And it was just constant, the striving for a little bit of relief from the emptiness that they felt. Mm. And I looked at that life and I said, well, you know, I got to make a choice here. Like, I really want to be happy. That's the deep desire of my heart. And I see that the way of the world, the money, the riches, the power, the, the, the popularity, it can't lead to happiness because here's all these people surrounding me who didn't have that peace. And mm -hmm. when I thought about the people who did have that peace, um, you know, my parents, uh, other you know, religious leaders, the priests I knew, and I, I said, you know, what, they've got the peace. They, are, they have something in them that just radiates joy. And that's what I want. Yeah. And so from that time on, I just started saying, you know, what, I got to live for God. And that's where I'm going to find my joy. And it's true. I have found joy in Christ. And, and that's yeah. why I follow him. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, something you, you, you brought up a, a few times in there that, that I think we really, um, we don't appreciate as much, I think, in our journey of faith is the power of community. Yes. Right. The power of, of surrounding ourselves with people who are striving for the same things that we are um, and making sure that, that in a sense, not that we insulate ourselves, but that we, we recognize that we, it, it is a struggle to do this alone. Right. And so when I have family and friends and people around me um, who are pursuing that same goal, it gives us a lot more strength to go on, which is in many ways, you know, I think one of the, the key lessons really of, of the Camino. Yeah. Right. That, that you meet people from from so many different walks of life who, you know, the only thing you have in common with them right now is that you're walking this journey together and you're you're moving towards the same destination. But it becomes a source of strength they can become sources of inspiration and in some places you know they become lifelong friends and companions as, as our way continues you know far beyond compostella well that's what we heard in our readings a couple of days ago from the book of hebrews when the author says we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses and hmm. there's uh, i think and for a lot of us is some times of real despondency in the faith especially as we live in a culture that's very secular very anti-christian and you may feel like man i'm all alone i'm the only one yeah. And that's why we do need to look around and say, no, 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 not only do we have the saints who've gone before us, but we have many living saints who are, yeah. are living the faith or living it out. And that's, that's an encouragement to me as a pastor. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So now knowing, you know, okay, so this is how, you know, you came to a real profound experience of, of, of Jesus in your life and, and knowing, okay, he's calling you to something um, in particular, something deep and, and profound. Um, how did you begin to recognize in that reality a call to, to serve him as a priest? So I don't know if you did this, but I used to celebrate Mass as a little kid. Yeah, I did, actually. Oh, I did. Yeah. Yep, I had a Yahtzee cup as a chalice, and I used Cheez-Its for communion. <laughs> yeah, I, had, I, I used to do that. I, I don't remember what I used. Probably like Ritz crackers or something, but I used to celebrate Mass uh, on a regular basis. And so, you know, as a little kid, I remember telling uh, telling other people I was you know, going to be a priest. But then you know, we hit 12, 13, you realize girls are pretty. And all of a sudden, like the idea just like leaves your head. And so my life's goal at that time was to be either a professional rock musician, because music is a huge, huge part of my life, mm -hmm. or uh, to be a sports announcer, because I love mm -hmm. sports, but I'm not good enough to play. 
any sort of professionally, but I, but I love to talk, certainly. So <laughs> being a sports announcer would be a good kind of happy medium. And so as I was going through the conversion experience, though, and really kind of reflecting on like, how can I give my life totally to God? Mm-hmm. I sensed kind of a, a deeper call, you know, to use all these talents for his glory. And so as a senior in high school, I just really, I just thought more and more like, you know, I, I don't want to give half-hearted to Christ. I want mm-hmm. to give everything in me to him, not holding nothing back. And the best way I can I could figure to do that was to become a priest. And so mm-hmm. I, I applied right out of high school and was accepted into college seminary, which was wonderful. Went to uh, Franciscan University of Steubenville, and they have a, a program for men discerning the priesthood. And so I was part of that program, which was wonderful. And then went straight into seminary after that. And I know a lot of a lot of guys kind of work in the world and then hear the call. But for me, it's always been uh, something that's been on my heart since I was very young. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. And now you, you, you grew up in Maryland. Here you are serving as a, as a priest and as a, as a pastor in the Diocese of Bridgeport, which we are extremely grateful uh, that you are here. We, we love having you here. But how has that been? I think that's, that's kind of, you know, I would say it's unique. We have a few guys who have a similar experience. Um, but for, for some of our, you know, especially in Connecticut, right, and in Stanford, we, you know, I know for sure we have a lot of young men who um, – you know, are working here and are living here now, but maybe aren't quite from here. Um, but this may be where God is calling them to serve. You never know. So um, what's that experience been like about, about serving a church that's, that's not necessarily where you grew up? You know, for me, it's, it's something that I really, I cherish. I mean, there certainly is the cross of not being around my family. So for mm-hmm. Christmas and Easter, I don't spend it with my family. I spend it with friends here in, in Connecticut, which is definitely a little bit sad. You know, I have three sure. nephews now all under the age of five, and I would love to be a bigger part of their life, mm-hmm. but they're all down in Maryland. You know, so sure. there's that cross, but in a sense, it's also mission work. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I, I now have a parochial vicar from Romania and uh, a, a wonderful man. And and it's funny how he refers to America as mission territory. Yeah. Because we don't think of that. We think of mission territory being Africa or Asia, you know, some, some for, far-flung land, but right here in America where perhaps 40% of people don't claim to have a religion, not sure if that's an accurate stat. Maybe just, I just made that off the top of my head. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like somewhere it. around there, you know, we really do live in mission territory. So, I mean, Connecticut being one of the most secularized uh, places mm-hmm. in the country, I see it as, you know, this is, this is my mission right here. Yeah. And, and God really opened some doors. I had some friends from Franciscan, uh, another, a brother priest, Father Sean Calasi, who was mm-hmm. one of my closest friends at Franciscan, who was a, a Dawson priest for Bridgeport. Yep. And he's one of the ones who really encouraged me to come here and, and to take a look at this diocese. And, and, um, it ended up working out being a great fit. Yeah. Plus we have a wonderful Bishop and I, and I love working with Bishop Caggiano. We, oh, he's, yeah, we do. We really, we are very, very blessed uh, to have him, but, but it's, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned Father Sean because I've always wondered who we have to blame. I mean, sorry, thank uh, <laughs> for your presence, uh, for your presence in the diocese. So it's, it's good to know that, that we can, we can lay that at the feet of, of Father Sean. Uh, he's, one of the factors. he's one of the factors. Yeah. Definitely. Excellent. Excellent. Now, when you were ordained, how long have you been ordained, Father Joseph? This will be 10 years, 2013. Ten years. Yeah. So, so great. So how has God kind of moved your priesthood, um, you know, over these, these past 10 years? Where have you served? What are some things you've been able to do um, and be a part of? Well, I've been really blessed. I think, uh, you know, as a priest, one of the, one of the things I love about Dostas and priesthood is that you have the opportunity to do a wide variety of ministry. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what I love. And, and one of the things I've always felt called to, even when I was very young, was to do youth ministry and work with young people. And so I've been very blessed really over the last 10 years to work a, a huge amount in youth ministry for um, 
now, gosh, I started as a high school chaplain in 2016. So mm -hmm. going on my seventh year at my second high school, first at Trinity Catholic High School, and then that closed, it was Cardinal Kung Academy. And, and I know a lot of priests say that their favorite part of priesthood is celebrating mass or the sacraments. For me, the greatest part of priesthood is watching a young person come to Christ. Mm. That for me is what gives me the greatest joy. And I think, I think it gives me the greatest joy because that's, uh, you know, I love, I love what St. Paul says. You know, St. Paul says, I have not come to baptize, I've come to preach. Mm -hmm. And I think there are some, some priests who are very drawn to kind of the sacramental life of the church and who, who do beautiful liturgies and really focus on that. And, and other priests who kind of focus more on the preaching aspect and, and mm -hmm. on the sharing of the word. And that's, that's something that's always been on my heart to go and give retreats and talks. Um, I've, I've worked very much in the media with, uh, with our podcast, with video series that's on YouTube and, and a number of other things. And, and so kind of like that preaching and youth ministry has been kind of my greatest joy because I think that the sacraments can only be as fruitful as people's faith. Mm. You know, you, you have to receive it in faith in order for it to bear great fruit in your life. And so my goal is to kind of establish the faith and to stir that up in our hearts, the Holy Spirit, so that when they come to the sacraments, it becomes a real encounter with Christ who they know loves them and they know is very real. So mm. that's, that for me is the greatest joy. Um, one of the highlights, I think, of doing that youth ministry is back in 2018, uh, I had a privilege of leading a father-son pilgrimage to Rome for a group of high school boys, which was an mm -hmm. awesome experience. Uh, I loved yeah. it, loved it, hope to do it again. Right now, God has kind of called me to lead um, backpacking pilgrimages. So last summer, we did that up in the father-son pilgrimage up in uh, yeah. New Hampshire. and So different ways in which we can kind of just incorporate the faith um, into things that are fun and things that are very outside the box. Yeah. And our bishop is very much about talking about how faith comes through beauty. Mm -hmm. And so like when we went to Rome, certainly we saw the beauty of these incredible churches and the history and you're taking people out into nature, you see the beauty of nature. And so these are ways in which God can really penetrate their hearts. And, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas said that God reaches out to human beings through either truth, beauty or goodness. And for me, it's always been beauty. Mm -hmm. You know, when I look at a beautiful sunset or a beautiful view from a mountaintop, I sense God's presence. And for a lot of people, that's the way, especially in our modern world, that's the way in which God reaches them because, you know, truth, you can kind of put up barriers and say, I don't want to believe that it's, you know, too yeah. inc in, inconvenient or whatever, but beauty goes beyond our barriers. Beauty goes straight, strikes straight to the heart and you can't argue with beauty. True. Right. So, so I think, you know, taking young people out hiking, um, showing them the beauty of our faith in particular, like, you know, beautiful devotions, having wonderful adoration um, sessions is, is one of the things that really makes me very passionate as, as a priest. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. How can you, how can you look at a, at a beautiful sunset, right. And, and, and not be moved to some sense of, of wonder and awe um, because you think about it, right. I mean, we can, we know what it is, right. Objectively, we know that it's light being refracted in a different way. And so, but that's not what we see. Right. right. You, you look at a sunset or, or a beautiful sun and you're just there's there's something that stirs inside you, you know, that, that says there, there's something more here that, that we we have to pay attention to. Um, mm -hmm. And I think you're right. I think, you know, especially because in, in so many ways, I think beauty um, has been diminished or, or uh, kind of made made light of in a lot of different ways in, in our society that those real authentic moments of beauty um, kind of make us stop in our tracks because they they've become so exceptional, even though they're meant to be a normal everyday part of our lives, they've really become the exception, you know, rather than the rule. Well, we live in a very utilitarian world. Like we ask yeah. something, is, is it functional? We don't ask, is it beautiful elegance? Because beauty yeah. by its very nature is something that doesn't have a practical purpose. 
Yeah. You know, there's no practical yeah. purpose for a sunset or a beautiful symphony or, or even you know building a, a work of art. But yeah, in doing it, we do it because there's a hunger in our soul for that. Yeah. You know, and, and it's something I think, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about um, this because it's some, that, that that attraction to beauty is also something you've used not only to inspire your own life, but also something you've used, um, I think, really well uh, to to minister to others, um, which is in particular your your music. Um, and, and unless I'm mistaken, you are the author of a, of a book. Two. Yeah. Two books. Uh, two, uh, two books. So I would love to share for you to share kind of, you know, cause those are pretty, those are things that, you know, a lot of priests preach, a lot of priests do sacraments, a lot of priests do, you know, run youth groups, but to have, uh, you know, to do some real, uh, ministry through, through music and to be a published author is not something, uh, that a lot of us, uh, have, have on our resume, so to speak. So I'd love to, for you to share how, how those came to be part of your life. Sure. Yeah. So I, I played music from the time I was very young. My dad was a, an accomplished pianist and he taught, taught all of us how to play piano. So from the time I was five years old, I was playing music. But I remember when I was about eight or nine years old, some friends of mine in the neighborhood uh, and I formed a band. We called it the, we called it the boys band because we wouldn't let our sisters join. And it was, uh, <laughs> we actually, we actually ended up putting on three concerts for the neighborhood families. Uh, That's great. Through that, through that band. They were, I mean, they're probably very cute, but ridiculously cheesy. Yeah. But uh, so really through that, I started kind of writing music. When I was 17, I picked up the guitar and started learning that. And so that's always been a huge part of my life because God ministered to me through music. Mm. So during that time when I was going to community college, um, I was driving with this, uh, I, think, I think we had the Buick at the time, this old Buick and had like no radio reception. I'm driving through the backwoods of Western Maryland. And um, so the only thing I could listen to was these really cheesy Christian music tapes those cassette tapes. I mean, yep. it was like super hokey, super cringy. But as I'm listening to them, you know, over and over again, started kind of listening and singing along. Yeah, Jesus. And all of a sudden that became like a time of worship. Yep. And that was like an intimate time with God for half an hour every day to and from school. Mm -hmm. So I think in the same way, like if music's ministered so much to my heart, I know it can minister to others as well. And, and it's ministered in surprising ways. Like I'll never forget, I studied in Rome for one year. And me and a brother seminarian would go out to St. Peter's Square right when, uh, it was, at the time, Pope Benedict was having his Sunday Angelus. So he would mm -hmm. pray the Angelus. And then after the Angelus, we would break out our guitars and start singing praise and worship music. Mm. And a crowd would gather and some people would join us. And then some people would ask, like, who are you? What are you doing? And we'd be able to say, hey, we're seminarians. We're doing this because we love Christ. And we'd be able to share the gospel with them because there's a lot of people in St. Peter's Square who were there out of curiosity sure. or maybe not very religious and it became such an avenue where people could gather around us and we could just be like, hey, look, Jesus, he's the real deal. He's why we're here. You know, so, so music's really been able to minister uh, in a lot of ways. Like I'll never, never forget, you know, one of the, a, a dad came to me one time and said that his like 10 year old son listens to my music exclusively. And I thought, well, that's great because he's not listening to the, the crud that's on the radio. <laughs> sure. You know, yeah. so if, if this can if my songs can just replace like one nasty song that a kid would listen to otherwise, it's been successful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what are your books about? So I have two books. One is fiction and one is based on a true story. Uh, the okay. fiction story is about a priest who hears rumors that a couple of his students at the parish school are having visions of the Blessed Mother in his backyard. Hmm. It was kind of inspired by, I was reading a book about um, Medjugorje and some of the, tri the trials and travails that living in that communist country, some of the uh, seers were, were struggling with. So I thought, you know, what would that, ha what would happen if this happened in America? 
Hmm. It's a fictional story about that. Um, and the other book is actually about an obscure saint who very few people know about named St. Pancras. Okay. St. Pancras was uh, a young boy who ended up, his, his, uh, he was an orphan. He ended up going to traveling from Turkey to Rome and uh, fell in with some Praetorian guards. And the Praetorian mm -hmm. guards were given the task of executing the niece of the emperor because the niece was a Christian. So they all sailed to this island to execute her. But instead, they were so impressed with her holiness that they all converted and they all died as martyrs. But St. Pancras right. was given uh, the opportunity to become very rich and famous. And the emperor really liked him. The emperor said, just, you know, convert to paganism. And here, here's all this gold. Here's this, this home. And he was willing to stand up and say, no, I'm willing to die for Christ. Wow. And so it's, it's a novelized version of his life. Wow. That sounds, sounds beautiful. It sounds beautiful. So hopefully, hopefully some of our listeners will, will one, start listening to some of your music. Um, and, it is on and Spotify, YouTube, and other, other places, iTunes. Excellent. And where can they buy your books? Uh, Amazon.com. Perfect. Perfect. Great. It's called The Shores of Heaven or Days of Grace. On the Shores of Heaven and Days of Grace. Those sound, sound worth it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> I should give so you now, a copy. I don't, think, I don't think you have a copy. I don't think I do, actually. We gotta, I'll, we gotta I'll give you a copy of both of I appreciate it. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so now you're serving as pastor at St. Jude Parish, right, in Monroe. Yes. Um, and this is your first uh, first parish as pastor. Uh, so how's that experience been for you? Wonderful. I've been there for about a year and a half. And uh, what I love about being pastor is that you can really shape a community as you feel the Holy Spirit leading you to do so. Mm. And so that's that's a beautiful gift. Um, the challenges, of course, are the buildings and grounds and <laughs> sure. dealing with uh, broken boilers and things like that. Yeah. Do yeah. You've had to deal with to eat your food. And... No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you know, you just, you put the lasagna out. What do you want from me? I saw, what can I say? What can I say? <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Well, jo Father Joseph, thank you so much. Um, you know, I just to wrap up, I've, I've, I want to do a couple of um, just some quick fire questions for you. Just, just three or four quick fire questions. Kind of the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, your favorite saint? Ah, well, because of my love of, saint, of youth ministry, probably St. John Bosco. St. Bosco, whose who's feast day we just celebrated not too long ago. Yes, indeed. And uh, your favorite scripture passage or your favorite story from scripture? Ooh, favorite scripture passage. Um, you know, the one that comes to mind is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. Excellent. I do love the book of Philippians. Excellent. Excellent. And if, if you had to give uh, to, to someone who is trying to discern God's will in their life, um, one prayer or devotion or spiritual kind of, um, you know, thing to do, so to speak, what would you recommend? This kind of goes against the grain, but here's what I recommend. Don't ask God to reveal his will, because a lot of times we go to pray and we're like, God, show me your will, show me your will. And we end prayer not closer to God, but actually further away because we're not trusting as much. Pray mm -hmm. to seek God and then he will reveal his will. That is, that is absolutely beautiful. I, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Great. Well, Father Joseph, again, thank you uh, very much for your time joining us today. Thank you for the, for saying yes, for the gift of your priesthood. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll continue to, uh, to share this message. Hopefully more people will uh, listen to your music, read your books, and uh, and and most importantly, listen to uh, how God is is speaking in their lives. So thank you again for, for joining us. Amen. Uh, All for the glory of God.
Amen. Amen. And so to all of our viewers, all our listeners, we thank you again for, for joining us. We hope this is, has been another good episode of A Priest Forever. We hope that, that you've learned a little bit more about Father Joseph, um, a little bit more about uh, what it, it can mean to be a priest and, and all the different ways uh, that God's will can manifest itself in your life. Know that we're praying for you um, and we ask that you continue to please pray for us, pray for all of our priests and pray for all those um, who are discerning uh, the will of God in their lives. May God bless you all.